You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Uh, all right. Well, so uh, just a, let's uh, just a few things before we kind of dive into uh, our talk this morning. Can we just make an agreement? I know everyone um, is like you're drawn to the flame, right? So I, these are going to be lit the whole time that I'm teaching, and without fail, uh, I'm just going to see people just staring into the abyss of the flame. So I just need to, everyone. Let's just agree to look this way for now. It, it'll be fine. There's sprinklers, and nothing's going to happen here. And so uh, let's just all kind of been doing this long enough to know, like, hey, everyone, focus in, you know, because you just can, you just want to stare at it, right? Like my four year old. And so I'm there with you, but let's let's collectively agree uh, to kind of focus in on the front just for uh, a little bit. The second thing uh, I need to let you know about is so um, every Christmas time we do uh, uh, an annual Christmas offering. Uh, we essentially want to just be able to say to the world around us um, that God's people are the most um, generous and compassionate people in the world. And um, one of the ways that we do that every year um, is through our Christmas offering. And so this year's Christmas offering is actually going towards um, two organizations. Uh, the first organization is called Compassion International. I don't know if you're um, familiar with Compassion, but my wife and I, um, uh, we've done a partnership with Compassion for about 10 years now or so, 12 years uh, or so, um, Compassion primarily does uh, child sponsorships um, all over the world. Uh, they're a global organization that, that uh, specializes in um, education, um, in uh, like gospel discipleship. Uh, they do clean water wells. They, they do all kinds of stuff, nutrition. Uh, all, they're just, everything's in this, this, this packet. And so um, next week, um, we're going to have a whole table set up, a whole booth set up, and if you're interested in doing uh, child sponsorships, they're going to be there uh, next week. So you'll be able to see a kid. You can uh, take that kid. Not take that kid. The kid will be on a piece of paper. Um, kid will be in the back. Uh, not that kind of sponsorship. All right. So um, you, can, uh, you, you can do that. And I would love to be able to tell my buddy who um, runs Compassion for the Northeast that we ran out of packets. So, um, but if you want to do that, it's, it's like 30, 35 bucks a month or whatever um, in that. And then the other partnership that we have, and there's a paper in the back as well, um, is for an organization called IJM, International Justice Mission. Uh, my wife and I are actually partners with them as well for the last few years. Uh, they uh, primarily focus in on human trafficking, ending human trafficking, uh, persecuting, um, persecuting, um, uh, go, uh, essentially um, going after those who are perpetrators of, of human trafficking and, um, and all that entails legally all, all the way across the board. And so for this Christmas, we just want to say, hey, go uh, support them, care for them, uh, take care of those organizations. So both of those sheets are in the back. Um, next week, you'll be able to step into those partnerships um, and, and do that. And we'll probably even have it up the next week as well. And so just want to let you know, you can be following our stuff online. We'll have all of that as we uh, progress into the, the month as well. Everybody good with that? Cool. Um, well, we're, as, as we mentioned earlier, we're kind of in Advent season. It's actually my favorite uh, season of the year. And so not just because there's presents and my love language is giving gifts or getting gifts, but um, it, it's one of those things. So, so for some of you, Advent, like just using that word, 
uh, depending on your kind of uh, denominational, you know, background, faith background, maybe I say Advent and you're like, I have no idea what what that means, right? You're like, I don't know, not really sure what that means. For some, for others of you, like I say Advent and you're like, yeah, totally dialed in, understand that, get it, was a concept that I grew up with. Uh, or maybe you grew up with it and you're still not sure what it is, but you're just like, I'm there, I was a part of it. Uh, so Advent basically comes from the, the Greek word that means like, um, arrival. It's kind of carrying this idea of uh, carrying this idea of like expectation, um, expectation. And so the 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 church. Um, th- this is basically kind of how it works. If you if you kind of go back and and look at it. So um, the church for the last fifteen hundred years or so has been operating out of a like the global church um, has been operating out of what we essentially call the church calendar. Uh, so the church calendar was a way to, for early believers, and even the church now, to kind of align itself with a rhythm um, around the way of Jesus. And so we talk a lot about how rhythms and habits and all of these types of things form us into a people. So all of us have rhythms, um, all of us have habits that make you into who you are. Like you have that, right? Maybe you run, maybe you read, how you eat, like, like all of these things, these are habits that form you into an individual. And so the early church kind of saw this same thing in the church now, and they basically said, let's organize our life around the way of Jesus, right? Now, that shouldn't be a kind of weird thought. Like ideally, all of us should be kind of looking at our life and saying, how do I align everything around the life and the teachings of Jesus? So it's not just a Sunday morning thing, that I go to. Um, it's not just a, um, a small group house church thing that I do with some of my friends throughout the week, but I'm aligning my whole life around the person of Jesus. The way I make decisions about life, about relationships, about finances, about career, about education, like everything about me is, is circled around Jesus. And so the church came up with a, uh, a church calendar. Now, the thing you also have to realize is a lot of the early church was coming out of a Jewish background that was, they were used to these kind of, um, these, fe- these kind of annual feasts and activities that were creating this rhythm for them. So it's only natural that they're gonna get now into um, following the way of Jesus and they're gonna adopt these kind of thoughts as uh, well, and so the church calendar it basically lays out this way. Um, so it starts with Advent. So they, they essentially would say that actually the beginning of the year is Advent. And so the, you're going to organize your life and you're going to begin your life by looking at the arrival of Jesus. So it's not the end of the year, right? That's kind of a funny thought. Like Christmas is at the end, like we get to the end of the year and now, no, it's like the very beginning, our focus is on God incarnate as a, as a baby. So that would be, begin it, would be Advent, so this would be the birth of Jesus. Then it would move into Epiphany, which would be the manifestation of Christ showing himself. Uh, then into Lent, which is the temptation and the death of Christ. Then into Easter, which is the resurrection of Christ. And then into Pentecost, which would be uh, the Spirit coming upon the people of God. So this was kind of the rhythm that the church would be doing, would be Advent, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and Pentecost. And so it would begin with this idea of coming or arrival. So essentially Advent, let me say it this way, essentially Advent is about looking back at the arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem, but it's also about looking forward to the arrival of Jesus when he comes back. So it's looking back, right, with that kind of, like looking at the arrival of Jesus as a baby, and but also having this expectation uh, that God is going to uh, come back as well and change um, all, all things. Now, culturally, um, 
I've always found this season very fascinating to me. Um, now, this is probably the, the, of any season of the year, the most obvious season that like we culturally, and I would even say globally, organize around a, uh, a Christian event, right? Like now, whether the culture wants to identify it or recognize it or not, um, Christmas is about the arrival of Jesus, right? So you're going to be walking around stores and you're going to be hearing uh, joy to the world. You're going to be hearing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you're, right? You're going to be hearing all of it along with Frosty the Snowman. But you know what I'm saying? Like we're going to be hearing um, all of these kind of songs are going to be going on. Well, they've probably been starting since October because we've monetized everything. But like everything is happening, right? Like you get it. Like all of this is kind of going on. Um, you got all the Christmas movies are, are on as well. Um, all of that is kind of happening uh, around us. And so in a lot of ways, culturally, they've kind of like, taken this very obvious kind of Christian um, holiday and, and hijacked it in all kind of, kinds of ways. Um, th- there's a movie, it's actually the, Chris, the first kind of Christmas movie that we watched. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's called The Holiday Calendar. And uh, it's great. I don't know why it hasn't won an Oscar. And so uh, we, we watched it. We've already watched it. But it, basically, it's this idea that... Um, so there's this, this is going to be shocking. So it's a romance and, you know, it's, there's conflict involved and there's like, you know, uh, and so it's basically about this girl who gets uh, an advent calendar. It's called the holiday calendar from her uh, grandfather. It used to be her grandmother's. And so every day the, the advent calendar opens up to all these kind of different, you know, uh, different like trinkets or whatever, you know, and it's like, so you're following along and, you know, she starts dating this one guy and you're like, no, we don't like him. We like this other guy. This guy's kind of pretentious, you know, you know, it's got that whole process. But, but if you watch it, it's fascinating because you're watching, it's like every day there's just kind of this build up. It's like, what's the next thing going to be? What's the next thing going to be? What's the next, you know, and they get to the very end. It's like this kind of big reveal and they're like, shocking, they got together, you know? And so you're like, oh, that's amazing. So, um, what, what's fascinating about it is when you kind of watch that and the whole thing is about this expectation that is building. And so it's like even in a kind of a silly movie like that where you can sit and watch the undertones of that whole movie is this idea of the arrival of something, this expectation that she's waiting to see what the calendar is going to reveal. Each day, you see that. It's culturally kind of baked inside of us in this season. And so we can look at it from a faith standpoint and say, okay, this is the church calendar. We see it historically from the past 1,500 years. But we can also look at it culturally and go, look, man, it's even embedded there. Like there's even something um, under, underneath that. that. There's something more going on here um, than presents and Santa and all those types of things um, all those, uh, those things are a part of our experience in doing this. Uh, and so here's what I want us to do. Here's what I want to agree on kind of individually and, and collectively together. Um, I want us to work on um, developing what I call a posture of expectation, a posture of expectation. And, and, and really what I want us to try and do over the next just three weeks, right? Just give me three weeks. I'm not asking your lifetime, Give me three weeks of just saying, okay, I want to, for the next three weeks, as I'm sitting in this Advent kind of Christmas season, I want to develop a posture of expectation that is really meant to realign us with the story of God. Now, part of that is going to be deconstructing perhaps how you tend to think about the next three weeks. Um, is, is 
family time important? Yes, right? Is part of the holidays having that? Absolutely. Is like good food uh, a part of that? 100%. Like that's, is NBA basketball on Christmas day? Yes. Like that's, that's all, that's absolutely. All of those things are, are really good things. They're just not the main thing. And, and part of the agreement that I want us to have over the next three weeks is I want us to, to, I think this is what the, I think this is why events on the beginning of the church calendar and not on the end is I think it's meant to realign us with the story of God. That as we look about, as we kind of look towards the year ahead, we're saying, no, I'm joining God in his story. And the story starts with the arrival of his son in Bethlehem. And, and so that's kind of the journey that we're going to be taking for the next few weeks together, is kind of building upon this idea um, and this posture of um, expectation. I want us to deconstruct um, and deny the kind of false stories that we've aligned ourselves in. Let's break those things down um, and, and deny those things and kind of now realign ourselves with the story of God. One ancient catechism puts it this way, a church catechism. This is when the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, uh, she makes present this ancient, expect- uh, this ancient expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. By celebrating the precursor's birth and martyrdom, the church unites herself to his desire. He must increase, but I must decrease, right? So the, the Christmas season is not simply pointing to something, but it's pointing to someone, right? It's not about a set of theological beliefs. It's about an individual. This is what Advent is essentially about. Okay, four weeks. Um, here, let me give you the four themes. Uh, last week was hope. Uh, this week is faith. The next week is joy. And then uh, the final week is peace. Sometimes these will kind of mix around. Sometimes you can see love in the, the place of uh, faith. But I want us to look at uh, faith this morning. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. I know that you're shocked that we're in the beginning of the gospel account for the Christmas narrative. No, we're not going to get cute this, these few weeks. We're not going to go all cutesy and do all kinds of like Christmas in the whatever. All right, so here we go. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're starting in verse 18 uh, through 25. I uh, want to look at, um, kind of work out this uh, narrative and look at a definition of faith. So this is what it says. Matthew records for us. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together, that means sex, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. I just want to make sure we're all together, make sure we're all lined up together. Um, That she was pregnant, that's what happens when you have sex. All right, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a ridiculous statement right off the front end. What just happened, but we'll, we'll get there. Verse 19 It says, so her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly, in secret, verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is being conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus. Because, why are, we, why are you going to name him Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now he's going to quote Isaiah 7 here in verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the, prophet, uh, by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, 
and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Okay, so if you're looking at Luke's gospel account, Luke primarily tells the Christmas narrative through the lens of Mary. So if you're going to open the gospel of Luke, you're going to see Mary's account. If you're looking at Matthew's account, you're going to primarily in the beginning of it see it through the lens of Joseph, through the lens of the father. Here's the three things. I'll give you on the front end what we're going to kind of flesh out. They're not going to be overly complex this morning. You're going to become be able to walk away with it and say, okay, I can, I can see where we were going and, and what we had. Here's the three things when it comes to this idea of faith. Um, I want to look at the, um, the evidence of faith is obedience. The practice of faith requires trust. And the finisher of our faith is Jesus. So I'll give it to you again, that the evidence of our faith is obedience. The practice of faith requires trust. And the finisher of our faith is Jesus. Okay, so let's define faith. Um, and then let's look at what I call responsive faith through the life of, of Joseph. Here's how I would define faith. Really simple, really easy. Um, faith is essentially a belief which moves us to obedience. Faith is a belief or a conviction that moves us into um, action. It produces a, a type of action. Uh, faith is ultimately this idea. This is base level. Faith is ultimately this idea that God can be trusted. So, so when you say, I'm a person of faith, what you're saying in that moment is you're saying that you're an individual who says God can be trusted with your life, big and small. Uh, you're, you're saying that what God says about himself um, in the scriptures is true. What Jesus says about himself is true, that he can be trusted, right? This, this is what we see. I mean, if you go back to even the Genesis story, the, the creation story in the very beginning, the thing that God's enemy brought against what? God's people was what? That God can't be trusted. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. God can't be trusted. So a person of faith and the idea of faith is the belief that, yes, God can be trusted. It can be trusted. Uh, this is how the writer of Hebrews says it, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. The reality of what is hoped for and the, the proof of what's not seen. So how do we know what, what's the proof? What's the proof is our obedience, is our action. And this is what it is. This is why Paul would say to the church at Corinth, this is in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Paul's a, a, a former persecutor of the church, became an author of the majority of the New Testament letters. He said, we as a people, as Christians, people following the way of Jesus, he says that we walk by faith and not by sight. We're people who walk by this belief and this conviction that God can be trusted, that God can be believed. This is what we walk by, not by sight. This is important because we'll, we'll look at that in a second. But he says we walk by faith. Uh, this is why Jesus himself in Matthew 8, verse 10, um, Jesus said to a military leader um, after uh, the military leader's actions showed that he had a tremendous amount of trust in Jesus. This is what Jesus said to this military leader. He said, hearing this, 
Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith as this commander, who's now exhibited trust in me. This is also why Jesus says to a Canaanite woman who exhibited trust in him, this is Matthew 15, 28, he says this to her. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. See, faith is a belief or a conviction that God can be trusted. It's so simple. Not simple. It's hard. The statement is simple. God can be trusted. Okay, let's kick down. Matthew verse uh, 24 of Matthew 1, the account that we just read. Um, look, look what it says. We're kind of working, we'll work backwards um, to, to forwards. We'll kind of be bounced around a little bit. Um, verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, so he's kind of in this dream state that God had been speaking to him, which God does a lot throughout the scriptures, uh, kind of as a dream state. It says, when he woke up, what does it say um, that it, it, it did? It says, when he woke up, he did as the angel's Lord had commanded him, and he married her. So the question is, how do you know if faith resides in someone's heart? Obedience. Uh, not their ability to articulate a really strong theological stance. Right? Uh, not their ability to kind of ace everything um, from an information standpoint. Like all, although all that's important, all of that is things that we should be seeking to do is understand um, God at, a, at, a, at a, a significant depth. The way that you know someone is a person of faith is by watching how they live. It's watching to see if they're an obedient person. How do we know that Joseph believed God? We know that he believed God because he married Mary, right? If Joseph would have said to the angel, no, nah, I think I'm out, Right? If he would have woken from the dream and be like, whew, that was a weird one, <laughs> right? That was, no. I know it perfectly aligned with the situation in front of my eyes, but that was strange. Uh, I, well, where was I? Oh, I was divorcing Mary, right? We wouldn't be reading about, well, maybe we'd be reading about Joseph, but we sure as heck wouldn't be trying to emulate the life of Joseph. But he believed God, and because he believed God, we're reading about him and seeing his life story played out. The second thing that we see is that the practice of faith requires trust. Being a person of faith requires a tremendous amount of trust. So kind of a play on the same thought that God can be trusted, it requires a trust. Let, let's think about this story. Let's humanize this story for a moment. Because sometimes we stand over the Christmas narratives. This could be true of any of the uh, biblical stories that we read, and we kind of stand over it, and we go like, oh, this is all going to work out. This is going to be awesome. Joseph and Mary, you're going to have Jesus, and then he's going to be the Son of God, and all of it's going to work out beautifully, but let's kind of land in that moment like with Joseph, right? So Mary comes to him, and I love, I, I love how just human they are because Mary goes to Joseph, and Joseph's first thought upon Mary telling him is, this is incredible. This is a miracle from God, right? Joseph goes, I was so, I'm so glad. I was actually reading the prophet Isaiah when you came in, Mary. And in verse seven, it says that a virgin uh, will be born and we'll name him Emmanuel. 
I can't believe it. You got picked, right? He's like, this is incredible. That's not what happens. Joseph's first thought is, Mary has had sex with someone else. She's cheated on me. That was his first thought. Like his first thought, now we know that because the text tells us in verse 19, it says, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, why was he wanting to, why was he going through this, decided to divorce her secretly well, the reason that he was going to divorce her secretly was because he thought Mary broke, broke the law of God. That was his assumption. His assumption was not that she was a virgin, pregnant with the Son of God. Now, if you look at Mary's um, narrative in um, Luke chapter 1, uh, a similar thing happens when, when the angel comes to Mary, and it's an incredible story, you can go back and read it as well, but when the angel comes to Mary, she's like, how is this possible? Like, I, I don't know how this is possible. And, and one of the things that you'll see, both in the biblical narrative and also um, in, in your life if you live long enough, is what you'll see is that if you say, hey, I'm gonna be a person of faith, Rarely does faith align with your expectations. Rarely does when God calls you into something, does it align with the expectations that you have. See, a lot of us would say, hey, God, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to step into your story. I want to follow the way of Jesus. I want to be a part of kind of what you're doing to reconcile the world to yourself through Jesus. Like, I want to be a part of that. But there's kind of like the caveat there where it's like, but I got to make sure everything aligns before I do anything. And I need to have all the answers. I need to have all the blanks filled in. I got to make sure it's really safe and really comfortable. And as long as I can make sure it's kind of safe and comfortable and it's not too much of a risk, God, I'll follow you anywhere. As long as it's comfortable and not too much risk and there's like, a, you know, I can clearly see the way forward. And rarely does the practice of faith work itself out that way. I mean, Joseph um, never imagined that his story would begin with his fiance, future wife, pregnant. Pregnant. I, I mean, for um, if you look at the Christmas narrative and, and you're like, the Messiah's coming as a baby? As a, as a baby, like God in flesh? And, and, and not only that, but God's gonna invite Gentile wise men, like magicians, sorcerers, to come and worship him now because they followed the stars? And gonna invite shepherds, to like the lowliest of, of low. They're gonna invite him. Jesus is gonna spend his first few years on the run as a refugee in Egypt. That's how you're doing this thing, God? That's how the story is unfolding? That's, that's the beginning of the story? No one's writing that story, are we? Faith does not, many times, well, at least found in my life, it does not tend to align with the expectations that I have. And so Joseph's natural response, and I appreciate this, his natural response is, no way. 
Uh, there's no way that this can be true. Uh, Tim Keller says this. He says, um, if you've, uh, he says, if you've never stood and looked at the gospel and found it ridiculous, impossible, and inconceivable, I don't know that you've ever really understood it. I'll say it for you again. He says, if you've never stood and looked at the gospel story, right, this story of, of God incarnate, of God coming in flesh, carrying itself all the way out to crucifixion and resurrection, this is the gospel story, right? He says, if you've never found it ridiculous, impossible, and inconceivable, I don't think you've ever really understood it. So if you're here and you're a skeptic this morning, right, and maybe you, um, you're, you, you came with a family or a friend or whatever, and it's kind of Christmas time, so you thought you'd throw them a bone, you know, and they quit talking to you about it or, or whatever, right, or someone lied to you and told you this was a club or something, right? I don't know. Um, welcome. The Christmas story is littered with skeptics. It's littered with people that like, this is impossible. No way. And what you'll see when you say the scriptures and what you live long enough um, is that if you're wanting to follow God, uh, to make a decision to trust him, if you're, if you're waiting until all the blanks are filled or until it fits into this kind of tight expectations of what you have, you will not experience life with God. You won't. Okay. Um, let's move in. I, I don't want to miss this. I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. Matthew 1, uh, 20 through 23. Final thought here. So the evidence of faith is obedience. Um, faith requires trust. The final thought is Jesus is the finish of our faith. So Matthew 1, 20 through 23. It says, but after he considered these things, so David's been considering and thinking about these things. It says, an angel of the Lord uh, appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what, she is, but because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You'll name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You'll even notice in that, I don't wanna spend a lot of time here, but you'll even notice in that God says, hey, you don't have the right to name him, he's mine. And when you name things, naming things means what? It means ownership. And he says, you'll name him Jesus. It's Emmanuel, God present with us. And so God says, you're going to name him. You're going to name him that. The author of Hebrews says this about Jesus, uh, this idea of him being the finisher of our faith. Um, verse 2, it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the, the pioneer. Now, what is a pioneer? A pioneer is someone right on the front end the one working his way forward, the one working her way forward, right? This is who a pioneer is. It says, now Jesus, keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, right? This could also be translated the finisher of our faith. The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. It says, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, now, one of the things that I, I just want us to, to kind of grasp, right? So here's my fear over the next few weeks. Uh, my fear over the next few weeks is we can look at these Christmas narratives and um, we can look at that and go, okay, Joseph is a faith I want to emulate. And that, that's okay, right? And that would be all right. Or we could look at the story of the, the shepherds or, or whatever, whatever the narrative is and, and we can kind of apply their story and be like, okay, I want to I be that. That's not necessarily wrong. 
Uh, I think those are there for us to kind of look at, understand. This is what we're even doing th- this morning as a part of that's, that's That's a part of the, the Christmas narrative in the story. But I don't want us to miss the fact that over the next three weeks, everything that we're aligning around is about Jesus. That he is the one that all of kind of creation and the world is narrowing its sights around in the Christmas narrative. It's Jesus. Now, it sounds ridiculous because it's a baby, right? A, a, a tiny infant baby. But the author of Hebrews says he's the pioneer and he's the perfecter of our faith. So, so he's the one that we're coming around. Um, he's the one that we're saying that we're going to be a part of. Now, one of the things that you see is that you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, and Peter are going to actually say that Jesus is God. Now, we read that, and we can be like, depending on your comfort level with the Bible, depending on where you fall in the kind of faith spectrum, you're like, yeah, absolutely, I believe that. Like, that, that's where I've, I've aligned my life around the belief that Jesus was God, right? Others of you are a little bit more, you're like, I'm not so sure about that. That feels a little too supernatural for me, and I'm not, not there yet. I understand that. Uh, I, I get that. I get that people are kind of all over the place. But for Jewish writers to say that God has become man would be a ridiculous statement. Like a, a ridiculous statement. Like that, that was not something. Like there are still to this day Orthodox Jews who will not fully write out the name of God. That's how much they're um, re- kind of revered the, the person of God. That's how much they feared God, right? I mean, it's a, it's a healthy fear, but, but it's so much so that it's like they won't even write out the name And now you have these men, these early leaders in the Christian faith who are completely comfortable. No, not even completely comfortable. Who are dying for the belief that God has become man in Jesus. It's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, Tim Keller, um, in talking about this passage, uh, this is what he says. This is so fascinating. So he, he basically says that the Greek and the Romans during this time period, um, that their understanding of the gods were that there were kind of multiple personal deities, uh, none of whom were, were infinite. So like you could fool Zeus, you could hide from Apollo, Hermes might be able to make a mistake. In, in other words, they were personal people, but they were finite. Uh, Eastern religions understanding, uh, so if you were in the East, their understanding of God was like an impersonal force, uh, a divine power that kind of permeates everything. Uh, so if you, if you were to say to the, uh, someone of Eastern religion, you were to say, this is God um, made man, they would kind of say, oh, this person has like a God aura about them. Kind of a, like a, a sense, a, a God aura about them. If you were to say it to like a Greek or a Roman individual, uh, they would think of it more of like a Zeus or Hermes kind of thing, where it was like a temporary, not a full on kind of taking on human form. But for the Jewish individuals, their understanding of God was that God stands over and above the whole universe and that the God of the Bible looks down on the stars and the galaxies and they're just like dust to him. This is the Old Testament. This is how the Old Testament describes the, the, everything that we see, the creation story. To God, they're nothing. And, and now you get into this, uh, you get into this story, right? And, and they're still saying that God is absolutely holy, but at the same time, that now he has become 
human. It's an astonishing claim. It's an unbelievable claim in the, the stories that these, these men, these women, would be making this. He quotes Isaiah 7 in this prophecy. What's happening, if you were go, to go back and look in this prophecy, what's happening is basically uh, Isaiah comes to a rebellious king who's leading God's people, and, and God basically just says through the prophet Isaiah, I'm going to end this rebellious, habitual process of poor leadership. And it's saying, I'm, one is coming who will be God in flesh. And I'm going to end this kind of back and forth thing. And I'm going to come in flesh and I'm going to dwell with you. And Matthew says that time has come. This Isaiah 7 prophecy has now been fulfilled. And so he says, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Not only does the angel tell us who he is, that he's God with us, but he also tells us what, what he has come to do. Um, let's just think about Christmas for a moment. Um, I want to think about the reality of Christmas, right? So, so why did Jesus come as this kind of like cute, cuddly baby? Uh, I'm assuming he's cute and cuddly. He may have not have been. Um, but that's my assumption. Uh, I don't want to ruin your like Christmas buzz, you know, because I, I'm enjoying this season as well. Um, but let's think about for a moment uh, Matthew says, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And then Matthew says, why Jesus came? Why did Jesus come in the form of a baby? It says that he came because of our rebellion against God. That the reason that Jesus came was to save us from our sins, to save us from our destructive patterns, right? From our deadly addictions from our self-pride. I mean, this is, this, is what the, this is what the text says. It says, um, verse 21, it says, she'll give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say that Jesus is coming as a baby so that he can grow up to instruct us on how to live. He's not coming so he can show us the way to live as people pleasing to God. Although he does that, although his teachings are important, although if you, you read his teachings, you're like, this is some incredible stuff. It doesn't say that Jesus was coming to instruct us. It says that Jesus was coming to save us, to save us from our sins. He's not coming as a teacher to show you how to achieve your salvation, but he's coming as God and Savior who's come to achieve salvation for you. He's not come to instruct you on how to save yourself, but he's came to save you. A German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a series of notes um, about Advent to his fiance. Um, he was imprisoned by Nazi Germany. He ends up dying uh, at the hands of Nazi Germany uh, right before Hitler uh, actually kills himself. He gives uh, instructions to, to kill you know, his greatest enemies, and, and Dietrich was a part of that. Um, this is what he says about Advent in this little Advent book. You should pick it up if you're looking uh, for something. Um, he says this, The coming of God is truly not only a joyous message, but it is first frightful news for anyone who has a conscience. 
and only when we have felt the frightfulness of the matter can we know the incomparable favor. God comes in the midst of evil, in the midst of death, and judges the evil in us and in the world. Now, what's the result of judging the evil in us and in the world through sending his son Jesus? It says, in judging it, he loves us. He purifies us. He sanctifies us. He comes to us with his grace and love, and he makes us happy as only children can be happy. See, Jesus was coming not to instruct you how to live, but to make you a son and daughter of the king. A son and daughter of the king. This is, this is Advent, right? That there is a day coming, if you live long enough, uh, and you hurt enough, you will feel this desire, this desire for the coming of the king. You'll feel it. There's going to be days where you just feel it. You're just like, I'm just, I'm just ready. And there will be a day coming where forever, forever, we will be eternally sons and daughters with God forever. And it all starts in this Christmas narrative of God doing the most unlikely thing that we could imagine. And it was to be born to a, a virgin girl named Mary and a, a skeptic and unbelieving husband named Joseph to save the entire world. And so I don't know kind of where you're at this morning on this, this journey, but what I'm asking for us to do over the next few weeks together is I would love for us to just kind of say, hey, I want to realign with the story of God for the next three weeks. Um, and so maybe you're here and you've been thinking about Christmas and you've kind of got all this other stuff going on and you're looking forward to time off, you're looking forward to family, you're looking forward to food and, and all that, those kind of things. All, all that's okay. But I would love for us just to kind of collectively realign together into the story of God and say, man, this, this, these, this story, these few weeks, this season, this thing that's in the air is about Jesus. It's about Jesus and realign ourselves. Uh, maybe you're here this morning, and you've just said with your life, uh, maybe you've said it explicitly or you just implied it with your life that God can't be trusted. And you just said to God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't. Maybe this morning you need to step into trust with God. Maybe you need to say, I trust you. As unlikely as that feels, as ridiculous as that feels, like, welcome to the story. Welcome to the Christmas narrative. It's an insane story. And so maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I need, I need to trust God this morning. I need to step into that. Maybe you need to become a son and daughter this morning. We'd love to chat with you and talk with you about that afterwards, after we're done.